Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Thursday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I am your host, literally Heather. I have a little bit of a different episode for you guys today. Uh, We got a little bit of drama, a little bit of intrigue, and it is going to go a little bit longer than normal. Um, According to reporting from Alex Berenson, Chinese researchers have reported the results in a peer-reviewed paper that was published last month. Mice, who received more than four COVID vaccine jabs, had a collapse in their ability to fight the coronavirus. The damage extended past antibodies to the T-cells that form the crucial backup. Our findings demonstrate potential risks with the continuous use of SARS-CoV-2 vaccine boosters, providing immediate implications for the global COVID-19 vaccination enhancement strategies. Later in the paper, the researchers were even more direct. We found that the protective effects of the humoral immunity and cellular immunity established by the conventional conventional immunization were both profoundly impaired during the extended vaccination course. The finding has not been confirmed in humans. I want to be really clear about that. This is just in mice. And I wonder, you know, is this because it doesn't exist, meaning that that type of impairment doesn't exist, or is it because it just hasn't been studied? The study hasn't been done yet. I don't know the answer to either of those questions. Um, The mice the researchers used are genetically altered, probably through the CRISPR technology that we discussed yesterday, to model accurately the human response to the coronavirus and have been shown to share profound similarities with humans in response to SARS-CoV-2 infections. The scientists used a vaccine that has a different mechanism of basic action than the mRNA jabs, jabs, jobs, jabs, from Pfizer and Moderna, which turn our own cells into spike protein factories. But like them, the Chinese-tested vaccine causes the immune system to focus on a specific part of the coronavirus spike protein to the near exclusion of other responses. The finding may actually help to explain why large epidemiological studies keep finding that people who have received multiple boosters are at higher risk for Omicron infection than unvaccinated people. The Chinese report comes as COVID deaths are rising again in several highly mRNA-vaccinated countries, including Australia, Denmark, and Japan, where they have now reached an all-time high. The population-adjusted equivalent of about 9,000 weekly deaths in the United States. Meanwhile, large epidemiological studies which measure real-world vaccine results keep showing that mRNA jabs have negative efficacy against the coronavirus. In other words, people who received them are more likely to become infected than those who were never vaccinated in the first place. Last month, researchers at the Cleveland Clinic reported that they had found, quote, the higher 
the number of vaccines previously received, the higher the risk of contracting COVID-19. And last week, a very large French study reported that a second mRNA booster was less effective than the first at every comparable time interval, and that after four months, it actually raised the risk for infection compared to people who had not received it. It's important to note a couple things here. Chinese researchers were looking at COVID vaccine effects at the cellular level. They injected mice with several doses of purified spike protein receptor binding domain. The RBD is the most crucial part of the spike protein. It attaches to the receptors on our cells to allow the virus to dump its payload into them. I can't believe I just said that line with a straight face. The vaccine the Chinese scientists use differs from Pfizer or Moderna because it does not cause cells in the recipient to produce the spike protein and is more like Novavax. However, both the mRNA and Novavax vaccines ultimately work by producing an immune response that's highly focused, not just on the spike protein, but its RBD portion as well. In this way, they're very similar to the vaccine that the Chinese researchers used. The researchers found that after receiving three or four doses of the vaccine, the mice had a strong immune response, similar to the early response in people who received the standard two-dose mRNA regimen. We found that the conventional immunization course could stimulate sustained levels of neutralizing antibodies and promote the antigen-specific CD4 plus and CD8 plus T cell reactivity. But when the researchers gave the mice fifth and sixth doses, they found a paradoxical weakening effect in both antibodies and underlying parts of the immune system, including B and T cells. Essentially, the mice appeared to suffer immune tolerance or outright exhaustion and to become more vulnerable to coronavirus infection. The researchers wrote, when we administered additional doses of the same vaccine booster, with the attempt to induce a similarly around the world, similarly enhanced or at least sustained immune response, we observed an overt reduction in the overall immune responses. As governments around the world continue to press boosters on largely unwilling populations, This paper shows more clearly than ever the risks they are running and why further COVID vaccinations should be suspended until researchers can prove that the immune collapse found in mice will not also happen in humans. And I wonder, this constantly refers to vulnerability to coronavirus infection, but if you're diminishing someone's immune system, including their T and B cells, That makes me start worrying and wondering what other illnesses are you highly susceptible to at that point. And now for the intrigue. The FBI's website says, quote, the counterintelligence and economic espionage efforts emanating from the government of China are a grave threat to the economic well-being and democratic values of the United States. 
confronting this threat is the FBI's top counterintelligence priority. Well, I hope you find all those Chinese spies in social media boardrooms and the school board meetings where you've been spending all of your time and effort as an organization. Perhaps far worse is the threat to the lives of scores of courageous Chinese agents who have volunteered to spy for the United States within their own country. Over the past decade, more than a dozen agents recruited by the CIA have been killed or in prison. It now turns out that it was a Chinese spying suspect within the FBI's counterintelligence division who may have been largely responsible. This person is said to have gone undetected with his activities for upward of two decades until his quiet arrest in 2020. In a Hawaiian jail, he has a little-known case wrapped in layers of secrecy as he awaits trial. Y'all, two decades, 20 years. If you think China has not infiltrated every aspect of the United States and is perfectly willing to play the long game, I have a bridge to sell you. This story is absolutely insane. In the spring of 2001, Chinese intelligence was on a very big roll. On April 1st, a Navy EP-3 electronic spy plane operated by the National Security Agency and on patrol along the Chinese coast was forced to make an emergency landing on China's Hainan Island. After evacuating the crew, Chinese intelligence agents went to work extracting some of the agency's most secret espionage and cryptologic equipment, along with piles of documents classified above top secret. An enormous windfall, the hardware, software, and documents gave Chinese intelligence critical insight into the NSA's targets in their country and the methods used to spy on them. Less than a week earlier, Chinese intelligence came upon another intelligence bonanza when two former CIA clandestine officers one born in Shanghai, the other born in Hong Kong, agreed to change sides. China had become the principal source of visitors to Hong Kong. They were even spending more per capita than their American and Japanese counterparts. On March of 2001, an especially busy time, as soon as the Hong Kong Arts Festival ended, the Hong Kong International Film Festival began. Deep in the shadows, the city had also become a major crossroads for Eastern and Western spies. Hong Kong is a place where foreign intelligence agencies conduct a lot of activity, admitted Li Gong, the deputy director of Beijing's liaison office in the city. The arts crowd checked out of their rooms and the film fans checked in. Two former American spies quietly slipped into another hotel for a discreet rendezvous with their Chinese counterparts. They were brothers who had both worked as clandestine CIA officers in China, and now they were about to switch sides. Alexander Yuk Ching Ma and his older brother David were both veterans of the CIA's clandestine operations division. 
David was born in Shanghai in 1935, a time of smoky jazz clubs, bustling casinos, and opium dens. Opium dens. The Pudong District, on the eastern bank of the Huangpu River, became the country's major financial hub, and decades later, it would also become its high-tech eavesdropping hub. In 1961, at the age of 26, David moved to Los Angeles, became a naturalized U.S. citizen, and six years later, joined the CIA in an entry-level capacity, possibly as a translator. But in the late 1960s, the United States was in the middle of its desperate war with North Vietnam, which was aided by China. As a result, a throng of new recruits were continuously making their way to Camp Perry, also known as The Farm the CIA's boot camp for spies near Williamsburg, Virginia. Problem was, nearly all had the physical appearance of cheering fans at Notre Dame football games. Few would blend into a crowd on a street in Asia. Also, very few spoke Chinese or Vietnamese, especially with any fluency. That was good for David, and in 1971, he was promoted to the officer ranks within the CIA's clandestine service. Entrusted with the identities of many of the agency's human sources in China and elsewhere, as well as its system of covert communications known as COVCOM, he spent years in the Far East. In 1983, David resigned after it was determined that he was inappropriately using his government position to assist Chinese nationals in obtaining entry into the United States. But months before, as if taking his place, his 30-year-old brother, Alex, had joined up and also became a clandestine officer. He was born in Hong Kong and, like David, lived for a time in Shanghai. Both had also graduated from the University of Hawaii at Manoa. Following extensive training at the farm, he was also provided with the identities of the agency's networks of spies, the various COVCOM details, and was sent to the Far East. Seven years later, he left the agency, and around 1995, he moved to China, there oddly being no restrictions on former spies moving to their target nations. Therefore, little is known about his activities while he was there. David ended up in jail for fraud with a hefty fine hanging over his head. Alex returned to collect David, and they ended up in Shanghai together. For three days, beginning on March 24th of 2001, Alex and David allegedly met secretly in a hotel room with at least five officials from China's Ministry of State Security, or MSS, and passed on highly classified information. According to government charges, details included the covers used by CIA officers and CIA activities in China. Cryptographic information used in classified and sensified, sensified, oh my gosh, sensitive CIA communications and reports, information concerning CIA officer identities, as well as those of CIA human assets in China, the CIA's use of operational tradecraft, and CIA secure communications practices. That's Kavcom details. The brothers were then handed $50,000 in cash. Alex eventually agreed to become a mole for China's intelligence service within the FBI. 
And on the day after Christmas 2002, he applied for the position of special agent. By then, however, he was about 49 years old and was informed he was over the age limit. In 2004, he was nevertheless hired as a Chinese translator since he spoke several Chinese dialects. In many ways, this was an even better position for a spy since he would have access to a very broad range of information, including intercepted Chinese conversations. By then, the FBI was reeling from another extremely damaging and extremely embarrassing counterintelligence disaster involving China. In 2003, it was discovered that the Bureau's key U.S.-based China asset, Katrina Lung, was, like Alex, a double agent working for China. Worse, she was simultaneously sleeping with two of the FBI's top China agents. Among them was her longtime handler, through whom she had been passing false information for more than a decade, information that often was quickly passed on to the White House. I wonder if if Eric Swalwell knows her. Over at least the next six years, and possibly much longer, Alex took over the role of FBI mole, where Robert Hansen, who spied for Russia for more than two decades, had left off, except for a different spy master. It was as though no lessons had ever been learned by the Bureau. The method was simple, attract no suspicion. Ma would gather up piles of highly secret materials and simply walk out the door with them, just as Hansen had done for decades. Some he photographed with a digital camera, others he downloaded from his computer onto a flash drive, while still others he copied onto CD disks. Some dealt with guided missiles and weapons systems, and others revealed the identity of confidential sources, putting their lives at risk. Following the rendezvous and document drops in Shanghai, Ma would simply fly back to Honolulu, and at one point, curious U.S. customs officials pulled him aside for a secondary search and discovered he was carrying $20,000 in cash and a shiny new set of golf clubs. But no questions were raised, no actions were taken, and later that day, Ma sent an email to his SSSB handler with an attachment containing additional classified information. Other money paid to him by the MSS was regularly deposited in a bank account in Hong Kong. Because of his businesses, David, his brother, became very well known within the Chinese communities in Los Angeles, which was ideal for the SSSB and MSS. Critical for them was discovering community members who had become confidential informants on China for the CIA and FBI. In February of 2006, Alex Ma, China's mole in the FBI, sent David, his brother, photos that he had received from his handlers of five suspected human sources. Accompanying the pictures was a photo of five dogs on a park bench, which was a coded way of asking him to supply the identity of the sources. Shortly thereafter, David sent Alex an email identifying two of the informants, and a memory card belonging to Alex had pictures of the five sources, along with a list of five names. In May of 2010, a few months after another clandestine rendezvous to hand over documents to his handler, Alex received a phone call from an MSS officer apologizing for not seeing him during a recent visit to China 
and extending an invitation to meet in Shanghai in the future. He also asked Alex to get in touch with David and see if he would be willing to discuss their business venture. About the same time, the MSS was also bringing on board another veteran CIA clandestine officer, one who had just reapplied to the agency, possibly to become a mole. Known as Zen Cheng Li in China, he was Jerry Chun Xing Li to his colleagues at Langley. Over the following 14 years, he was dispatched on numerous overseas assignments, including to China, where he, like Alex and David Ma, had access to the agency's clandestine networks, both human and Covcom. By July of 2007, Lee has become frustrated by his lack of advancement at the CIA. As a result, he resigned and moved to Hong Kong, taking a job with Japan Tobacco International, or JTI. Employing about 40,000 people around the world, the company sells 120 brands of cigarettes, including both Camel and Winston, outside of the United States. Skipping a bunch of stuff for time purposes here, but it's in the article and in my show notes. Two years later, fed up with Hong Kong and having run out of secrets to sell, Lee decided to move his family back to Virginia, where he had been offered a potential job by the CIA. It had been secretly created to lure him back to the United States, and in August of 2012, during a three-day stopover in Hawaii, agents conducted a black bag job on his hotel room. What they found was damning. Inside a small, clear plastic travel pack was a 49-page date book and a 21-page address book, both of which contained top-secret handwritten operational notes from his CIA days. Most critically, they included the true names of the secret human sources as well as the dates and operational locations of the meetings. Another clandestine search was conducted on his hotel room in Fairfax, Virginia, soon after he arrived, and the information remained in his possession. But inexplicably, rather than Lee being arrested, the decision was made to simply question him repeatedly over the following year. Finally, after the fifth interview in June of 2013, With the questions becoming more and more revealing about what the Bureau knew, Lee fled with his family back to China-controlled Hong Kong. Once more, he was out of reach, and once more, the FBI had bungled it. Honesty, honestly, (laughs) honesty, honestly, y'all, I cannot talk today. The FBI is the most incompetent federal agency. A legitimate question. Over the next few years, did Lee Lee did security work for the cosmetics company Estee Lauder and the auction house Christie's. Then in January of 2018, apparently believing the danger had blown over, he boarded a Cathay Pacific flight to New York's John F. Kennedy International Airport. This was a serious mistake. His name had been flagged on the airline's manifest and he was arrested as soon as he landed. After first vowing to fight the espionage charges in May of 2019, he agreed to plead guilty and was sentenced to 19 years in prison. Around that same time, the FBI finally discovered the Chinese mole 
who had bored his way into the organization 16 years earlier. In August of 2020, an agent posing as an MSS officer approached Alex Ma in Honolulu, snared him in a sting operation. To convince Ma of his bona fides, he showed him a video of him meeting David and the SSSB agents at the time they signed on as spies in 2001. The pretend MSS officer then offered Ma $2,000 in cash as a small token of appreciation for his assistance to China. Ma offered to continue working for the MSS and stated he wanted the motherland to succeed. Shortly afterward, he was arrested on charges of espionage and is currently awaiting trial. With regard to David, then 85 years old, the decision was made not to arrest him due to advanced stages of Alzheimer's. The reason that I told you guys this story, you're seeing a lot of China, Chinese information, Chinese intelligence, and just the staggering levels of infiltration that have taken place in that organization or those organizations, because we're talking both the CIA and the FBI. I came across this. There is a gentleman who actually wrote a book. And the title of the book, if you'll give me just a second to pull it up, because I want to make sure that I quote it for you guys. Um, It's called Spy Fail. It's written by James Bamford. And um. This is a new book that just came out, Spy Fail, Foreign Spies, Moles, Saboteurs, and the Collapse of America's Counterintelligence. So I, because he just released this book, I wanted to go ahead and kind of give you guys a a high-level overview of the book and encourage you to read it. I mean, it's interesting. You you don't want your government to be spying because you know right now they're spying on us. We, we know that for 100% fact now, considering what's come out of the Twitter files. And the even scarier thing is that we have spies within our organization and we're not doing anything to, to fix it. Um, it's disappointing. Okay, last article for the day. Uh, the United States law enforcement officials said on Wednesday that they've arrested the Russian founder of a China-based cryptocurrency exchange disrupting an online platform used by criminals on the dark net. Anatoly Lekodimov, however you say that Russian name, the majority owner of Hong Kong-registered Bitslato, was taken into custody in Miami, Florida on Tuesday evening and charged with conducting an unlicensed money transmitting business. Officials said at the press conference Meanwhile, French authorities are working with Europol and other European law enforcement agencies and took down Bitslato's digital infrastructure and seized its cryptocurrency. Seized its cryptocurrency. Seized. I wonder if they'll get it back. Or, I mean, it's your, that's so interesting. The seize word. Um... Bitslato is particularly active in facilitating illicit activity, but it's ultimately part of a larger ecosystem of cyber criminals that are allowed to operate with impunity in Russia, Ademo said. 
In a rare move, the U.S. Treasury Department designated Bitslato as a primary money laundering concern in connection with Russian illicit funds. I cannot wait until the Treasury designates members of Congress as a primary money laundering concern in connection with Ukraine illicit funds. Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco wrapped up the press conference saying, quote, U.S. Department of Justice is taking action against crypto transactions that they deem to be a threat to national security. We will go after and use whatever tool it takes to find those who wish to remain anonymous. We will be unrelenting in our efforts. And I have no doubt when you are a government entity and there's an opportunity to steal money, you will be the most diligent you possibly could. That is your Thursday edition of everything yesterday this morning. I hope you enjoyed the story of the Chinese spies. I hope you're inflamed that our agencies are as compromised as they are. I love you guys. I will see you tomorrow. You take care. Have a great day. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.